This is Ord Energy Mon. And this is Tree Song. And we are very happy to talk to you because this is our community radio station. So let's get back into the promo here. All right. Mm-hmm. Wake up and be healthy and therefore wealthy to the peace and joy of Mother Earth. It's <laughs> just like. <laughs> I don't know how many times I've been doing this, and I always still mess it up. Mm-hmm. I've been doing this show 18 years. It's yes. amazing. The show is um, a grown-up. Yeah, you've so been sometimes doing it, it has attitude and you know pokes back at us. It's hitting those college years. <laughs> yeah, so our community radio station right here, we've had people mm-hmm. pledge to give money because we just had our fall membership drive. And I want to thank everybody for doing that because together we keep the show on the air. Yes. If you've pledged, well, thank you and send in your money. Oh, yes. Thank you for putting the you in community. We have the luck of having this little community radio station here. But let's talk about people who've been hit by hard luck. Yeah. So this is Hurricane Maria. 1.5 million Puerto Ricans don't have safe drinking water. So 1.5 million Puerto Ricans don't have safe drinking water. Due to widespread power outages, communities across the storm-battered island have lost running water. Water service may not resume until electricity is restored, a process that could take months. The U.S. Center for Disease Control and Prevention has advised residents to use bottled water when possible, When water systems lose pressure, there's a greater risk of bacterial contamination being drawn in. And many people are now getting water from wells and springs, shallow groundwater sources that are especially susceptible to contamination after Maria damaged the sewer system and flooded toxic landfills. So it's it's several sort of tragedies going on at once. The storm comes and it floods and the electricity's out, but then you've got these toxic landfills that are leaching chemicals into the water, It's a recipe for disaster. Even before the hurricane, Puerto Rico's water situation was worrisome. Nearly all of the tap water available violates federal safety rules, a National Resources Defense Council study concluded. The Federal Emergency Management Agency said that 6 million liters of safe water are already in Puerto Rico, with 4 million more on the way. But the plan for distributing that water remains unclear. That's one thing you often face in a disaster area is if power's out, roads are out, how do you actually get the supplies to the people? As Puerto Rico faces its sixth day without power in the sweltering temperatures, Congress appears weeks away from approving a formal funding request for aid. Officials say that for now, they're more focused on delivering resources than getting money from Congress. I guess the money will be more for the long-term rebuilding. Like right now, they want to just have food and water so people survive. You know, an emergency power for for hospitals, that sort of thing. Because, you know, hospitals may have backup generators that are diesel, but then if the diesel runs out, then they have nothing. It's all your fault. Hurricanes have made Caribbeans the world's latest climate refugees. Hurricanes have made Caribbeans the world's latest... climate refugees and officials from the islands haven't held back in reminding the industrialized world who's at fault here. 
Hint. It's not the island, people. <laughs> yeah, they didn't cause it. Over the weekend, Dominica Prime Minister Roosevelt Skerritt was unapologetic as he spoke to the United Nations General Assembly. Hurricane Maria lashed his island before going on to destroy Puerto Rico. The Category 5 storm killed at least 15 residents of Dominica last week. Quote, While the big countries talk, the small island nation suffers, said Skerritt. We need action and we need it now. It's no secret that the developing world, especially island nations, will bear the brunt of climate change impacts, even though these places have contributed the least to global warming. And Caribbean leaders used their platform in New York City this past weekend to hammer this point home. The country of Antigua and Barbuda is struggling to rebuild following landfalls by hurricanes Irma and Maria. Prime Minister Gaston Brown eventually made his way to the UN with sobering news. Quote, For the first time in 300 years, there is no permanent residence of Barbuda. In case you hadn't realized it yet, this is what climate change looks like. Yeah. yeah. And there is actually a link to, and I don't want to click on it because I'll see these god-awful pictures. But if you would like to receive our newsletter, all the stuff we talk about, it is available via email, info at yourcommunityspirit.org. Yeah, and some of the other stories we've talked about in the past have mentioned the link to climate change with these storms. You know, it's hurricanes have always happened in these areas, but the increased ocean temperature and air temperature leads to increased intensity of the storms. And when you're dealing with a storm like this, just adding a foot of sea surge, you know, that can be a tremendous difference in the damage of the storm. So let's see, in other news here. The answer is blowing in the wind. <laughs> yeah, that's a good one. The answer is blowing in the wind. Europe could have 200 gigawatts of wind by 2020. By 2020, that's only, you know, a little over two years away. That's pretty... That's like two two years, years and two months. Yeah. I wonder if that means the beginning or the end of 2020. <laughs> We're getting close enough that that makes a difference. So, but this would put it ahead of America. Europe's total installed wind power capacity could surpass 200 gigawatts in 2020. Gigawatts. You said gigawatts. Yes. We're living in the future We're in, the in the year 2020. In the year 2020. So 200 gigawatts in 2020. According to a forecast issued by trade body Wind Europe this week. And up to 15% of that capacity could be offshore, Wind Europe predicted. The offshore build-out, which will account for a quarter of the new capacity over the next four years, will put the European Union ahead of the U.S. in terms of total installed capacity in 2020. Wind Europe and International Energy Agency figures show. The EU will be the second largest wind market in the world, after China, Wind Europe revealed. Quote, This is going to be a huge step for the industry, says Alois Nigam, the Wind Europe Energy Technology Analyst, in a conference call. So and this, this reminds me of some of the gains that some of the countries in Europe have made on solar. It's, it's not like they necessarily have an inherently good country or continent for all of this wind, but they're choosing to make the decision to pursue renewables. So they do it offshore if they can't do it onshore, and they put a lot of effort into it. It's a choice that other countries can make too, <laughs> including the U.S. 
Well, I mean, we'll still be in third place between in China and Europe, right? If yeah, <laughs> well, it, it, sometimes you can get the sort of cons- competitive spirit going, like, oh, we're going to install more wind than Europe. We'll show them, you know. In, in a lot of cases, that's a bad thing. But then in this case, if the end result is tons of renewable energy installed, maybe it's a good thing. How about this one? California considers following China with the combustion engine car ban. The internal combustion engines days may be numbered in California, where officials are mulling whether a ban on sales of polluting autos is needed to achieve long-term targets for cleaner air. Governor Jerry Brown has expressed an interest in barring the sale of vehicles powered by internal combustion engines. Mary Nichols, chairman of the California Air Resources Board, said in an interview Friday at Bloomberg headquarters in New York. The earliest such ban is at least a decade away, she said. Brown, one of the most outspoken elected officials in the U.S. about the need for policies to combat climate change, said would be replicating similar moves by China, France, and the U.K. Quote, I've got messages from the governor saying, why haven't we done anything already, Nichols said, referring to China's planned phase-out of fossil fuel vehicle sales. The governor has clearly indicated an interest in why China can do this and not California, end quote. Embracing such a policy would send shockwaves through the global car industry to the heft of California's auto market. More than 2 million new passenger vehicles were registered in the state last year, topping France, Italy, or Spain. If a ban was implemented, automakers from General Motors to Toyota Motor Corporation would be under new pressure to make electric vehicles the standard for personal transportation in the most populous U.S. state, casting fresh doubts on the future of gasoline and diesel-powered autos everywhere. Did you ever read that book about how California had done that? It was like, you know... What do they call it? A future look back? Mm-hmm. Um, no, I never did. I remember that that book exists, but I never did get around was to Was it that. Ecotopia? Oh, well, like, yeah, I've read that one. I was thinking of a different one. I've read Ecotopia. Okay. Yeah. Uh, they, they actually banned planes that yeah, spewed they, fossil fuel yeah, from flying over California. They banned the planes from even going over them. Yeah. yeah. It was, they split off and formed their own country. Yeah. In that so <laughs> um, California's on the way. Just like. <laughs> yeah. Where California, where China goes, California follows. Not just, just like, <laughs> well, and that new that two million new passenger vehicles figure is an important one because economy of scale comes to mind. If if all of these companies are gearing up to create two million new electric cars in California, then that might spread it to the whole country more easily. You know, if you get any one market that is requesting that many, then the other markets might start get to get them too. So in other news, severe power failures in Puerto Rico and across the Caribbean spur a new push for renewable energy. Uh, I guess it's finding the silver lining in the cloud here. The ongoing electricity disaster in Puerto Rico in the wake of Hurricane Maria and on several other Caribbean islands slammed at full force by strong storms is driving new interest in ways of shifting island power grids toward greater reliance on wind, solar, and even someday large batteries. And some of the other technologies come to mind too, these other uh, technologies for storage, like the water reservoirs and the 
uh, carts that go up and down hills. Mm -hmm. Maybe they'll do some of those as well. Yeah, I actually just bid on um, training a bunch of workers for the Bahaman government to put in a bunch of solar and a bunch of batteries on their airport. Oh, yeah, there you go. So they're, they're, they're looking at it. I mean, and we're talking large-scale, big money. And, you know, the best part is they, you know, they want to train their own workers, so they create a workforce there. Yeah. It'll be a, you know, a couple-year project, so. Yeah, and it turns, it turns sort of the negative into a positive because if you've had this infrastructure taken out by a storm, you've got a choice then. You can either try to rebuild it the old way or you can go with renewable energy and the storage capacity, and then you'll be better off than you were before the storm. So here's, here's some more on that. Uh, here's a quote. For the most part, these island grids were completely devastated, and it will be four to six months before most of them can power their islands completely again, said Chris Burgess, director of projects for the Islands Energy Program at the Rocky Mountain Institute. Adding more renewables and moving away from centralized power grids to more so-called microgrids could lower costs and increase resilience in the face of storms, several energy experts said. And island nations, already at the forefront of pushing for action on climate change, have been moving this way for a while. Member states of CARICOM, a consortium of Caribbean nations, already have a goal of reaching 47% renewable energy by 2027. The storms now only give greater impetus. Quote, You look at islands like Dominica, Anguilla, and other islands affected by the recent hurricanes. I've spoken to a couple of the utilities, and they say they would prefer to rebuild using distributed generation storage and just trying to reduce the amount of transmission lines, said Tom Rogers, a renewable energy expert at the Coventry University in Britain, who previously was a lecturer in energy at the University of West Indies in Barbados. Quote, because that's where their energy systems fail. It's having these overhead cables. Yeah, I can imagine if you have a bunch of overhead cables and the storm comes, you know, really tall towers and cables get knocked out. Even in good weather, islands like those in the Caribbean have problems. Uh, they've tended to burn fossil fuels such as diesel and heavy fuel oil. Which is expensive. I mean, they have to haul it in and then yeah. they burn it. Because they're on an island. They're not getting it from the island. They're hauling it in. And so uh, that adds to the cost. Which in turn translates into those sky-high electric bills. I want to say in Cayman it was like 38 cents. So technically there was a per kilowatt cost, but then there was also a, f a fuel surcharge mm -hmm. based on what the current price of diesel fuel was. Yeah. So it, but it came out to 36 to 38 cents a kilowatt. Is, you know, it fluctuated based on the fuel surcharge. So the utilities could say, well, the price of electricity isn't very high. <laughs> yeah. No, it's they blame it on the fuel surcharge. Right, right. Yeah. yeah. So. <laughs> yeah. So then if they get it through renewables, that's interesting, too, because here in the in the U.S., the utilities are tending to advocate against, like, trying to move towards things like microgrids and a lot of renewables. But there, since they've got the infrastructure being wiped out, even the utilities are in favor of solutions all right so let's get into some of the holidays and happenings uh, we have uh, confucius day today uh, tomorrow is national mud pack day that's today's it. also Yom kippur oh yeah that's didn't make it on this calendar this is we tend this tends to be the 
unusual holidays. So yeah, this, it's like, they probably put that one on the like the home, National Homemade Cookies Day. That's a mm-hmm. weird holiday. Yeah, it's like and that's, that's every day now. That should be <laughs> yeah every good day has homemade cookies. World Vegetarian Day on Sunday, and Monday is National Custodial Workers Day. Name your car day. Yeah, my car is um, Tinkerbell. Yeah, because it's a teeny little green car with attitude. <laughs> Just like <laughs> so. all right, then. Oh, National Custodial Workers. Custodial workers should get more respect. You know, they they do all of the the cleaning and care and such that nobody else wants to do. And so they they work hard and keep places what nice about for us. Virus Appreciation Day. <laughs> yeah, that's a weird one. But you know, virus. There are viruses that play a positive role in the world. For are we talking about computer viruses or? Because it's also Techies Day. Yeah. So I mean, hmm. it's like so. I do see. know that you know the more sick humanity is, the stronger our immune system is. <laughs> yeah. So it's like. It's better to be sick sometimes. They give our immune system a workout it needs. Yeah, <laughs> just like. All right. Uh, let's see. We have National Kale Day coming up. <laughs> That's an interesting one. The fourth of the first Wednesday of October. It's October already? Yeah, October is coming. Just another couple days. September flew by. And coming up is National, well, it should be International Do Something Nice Day. Yeah. You can just once a year. That's all. <laughs> just like, yeah. If you've forgotten up until now this year, you can do something nice on the fifth. Now, just to prepare you, October is here. October is Cookie Month, Breast Cancer Awareness Month, Domestic Violence Awareness Month, International Drum Month, National Vegetarian Month, National Popcorn Popping Month, and Sarcastic Month. A whole month just for that. What? Also, seafood month. I see food, I eat it. So, just a reminder that we just finished the WDBX Fall Membership Drive, and we want to thank you and remind you to send in your pledge. Thank you for supporting us, keeping us alive and well, and together we are our community radio station. Tonight is the For Kids' Sake 7th Annual Superhero 5K. 6 to 8 p.m. at Turley Park. Now, you can show up, register on site, but no matter what, you should go there even if you don't plan to run, just so you can see hundreds and hundreds of your friends, neighbors, and family members dressed in superhero costumes. Mm -hmm. Yes. I'll be wearing my full tree song costume. I usually wear the light version uh, most days, but I'll have the cape and all that. And uh, it's also supporting such a good cause, the kids in Bangladesh. And uh, I'm part of the Illinois Initiatives team for that. And uh, yeah, it helps the kids. Are you going to take a nap beforehand, or are you are you good Um, for just? I think I'm good. I might I might sneak in a nap when Bedelia's napping, but I I actually skipped my morning jog this morning. Because I'm going to instead do the 5K. Got it. So I've probably got a little more energy, you know, than usual because I didn't jog two miles this morning. Okay. So, so instead, well, I'm going to jog 3.3. Uh, I was going to say, you know, how many miles is 5K? So 3.3, so 30% more. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. So that's today, 6 p.m. at Turley Park. Yeah. And you can go to forkidsake.net for more info 
Or you can also go to IllinoisInitiative.org if you want to support our uh, Illinois Initiative team. Uh, either way, it helps the kids. Now, wrapping up Fresh Fitness, this was a, uh, this was a temporary initiative for like two months. And then they extended it another two months because people were so excited to do it. This Saturday is the last one. The City of Carbondale and the Carbondale Park District have fresh fitness classes. The classes are taught by SIU Fitness Department instructors every Saturday from 10 to 11 a.m. at Lennis Turley Park in August and September. This is the last Saturday of September. Get out there and get your... Freshness, freshness on, freshness on. Yes, your freshness and your fitness. So we also have coming up this weekend the Church of the Good Shepherd's annual Pride Festival. It's coming up on Saturday at 2 p.m. to 6 p.m. at Church of the Good Shepherd, 515 South Orchard Drive in Carbondale. The vision of the COGS annual Pride Festival is to open their grounds to the community, expressing their acceptance and support for the LGBTQ community, friends, and allies. This is a family-friendly event with local LGBTQ resources, local vendors, entertainment by Loose Gravel, uh, inflatables, performances by local theater groups like the Skyline Creek and Stage Company, panel discussions led by community leaders, food, games, open mic, free HIV testing, and more. What a, what a whole big weekend. It's just all packed into one day. <laughs> That's Saturday, 2 to 6, over at Church of the Good Shepherd. Mark your calendar for Monday, Immigration's Rights, LGBT Plus Presentation at the Southern Illinois University School of Law, Monday, October 2nd, 4.30 p.m. Tanya Linares Garcia is a staff attorney with the National Immigrant Justice Center's Federal Litigation Program and the LGBT Immigration Rights Initiative. Prior to joining the National Immigration Justice Center, Tanya served as a staff attorney at the Northwest Immigration Rights Project in Washington. She earned her J.D. magna cum laude from Southern Illinois University. While in law school, Tanya interned with the ACLU's Immigration Rights Project, the Illinois Innocence Project, and the National Immigrant Justice Center's LGBT immigration rights initiatives. In her own words, quote, while my work largely involves asylum seekers, I advocate for immigrants in general. As such, if there's a way for me to raise awareness about inferior enforcement abuse issues while talking about the more sympathetic Asylees? Yeah, asylees. Like I asylum. See, I've never heard that word. I don't think I have either. Asylees. I guess people who are seeking asylum. Refugees. I think I would definitely welcome that space. As far as my personal story, I think the whole being a queer immigrant Latina and one of the first dreamers in the country to get admitted as a lawyer could be compelling. I guess particularly in light of the fact that I'm the only dreamer doing immigration work in a nationally recognized organization. Man, she'll be the speaker on Monday at 4.30 at the Southern Illinois University School of Law, sponsored by the United Nations Association of Southern Illinois and the SIU Hispanic Latino Resource Center, co-sponsored by the Hispanic Law Society's Association and Outlaw. SIU School of Law 102 with a reception in the formal lounge immediately following. 
Sounds good. Also coming up, we have Continuing the Conversation. This has been ongoing for quite a while now. Every Tuesday, 7 p.m. at the Newman Center. Uh, each week, a group of Southern Illinois residents meets on Tuesday nights for this. at uh, Newman Center, 715 South Washington. Uh, their purpose over the past year as the Race Unity Group has evolved from discussion to action. So they're discussing ways to bring the community together as an interracial community. So also coming up, this is a big one, a big happening, uh, Transportic Playground Transition. Uh, it's coming up on uh, Tuesday at 8 p.m. over at Flyover Social Center. And I wanted to be sure to mention this one because Transportic Playground is moving locations. Uh, they they picked the theme of transition for this coming one because it's a time of transition. They're going to a new spot, Flyover Social Center, uh, Tuesday at 8 p.m. It's a great opportunity for people to share poetry, and it's also, in this case, a celebration of their first performance over at Flyover, which is just a couple doors down here from the radio station. It's uh, uh, 214 North Washington. And people are invited to bring material on theme or on off theme is fine, too. And new poets or veteran poets are welcome. And audience members who just want to listen and enjoy, they're welcome, too. That's half the fun as a performer is having an audience to perform to. <laughs> so once again, that's coming up on Tuesday at 8 at the flyover. Now mark your calendar for the weekend of the Friday, October 6th and 7th and 8th because Can't Stand the Weather, Texas and Florida Fundraiser. Can't Stand the Weather is a Southern Illinois Musicians Cooperative for Texas Flood Relief. Over 40 professional musicians have volunteered their time to perform on the weekend of October 6th through the 8th at three separate venues. Amazing. Everything has (laughs) been donated. 100% of your revenue donations go directly to the benefactories the Houston Food Bank, and the Second Harvest Food Bank. So the venues are Friday, October 6th at the Bruce Brothers Tap Room, Saturday, October 7th at the Varsity Center Balcony, Sunday at the Trails End Lodge. All donations go directly to those food banks, one in Houston and one in Orlando. So... Keep your eyes and ears open. I've got a long list of different musicians, but again, over 40, mostly local, I think all local, musicians. Yeah. Somebody put a lot of effort into this event. This is pretty exciting. And the proceeds do go to the Benefit the Food Kitchens or Food Banks. All right, so also coming up, uh, not this weekend, but next weekend, the Natural Beekeeping Workshop workshop on Tuesday, October 6th to 8th at the Diami Community Center. Uh, this is a three-day workshop. Uh, this is part of, this is the Natural Beekeeping Workshop, and Michael Bush is one of the foremost leaders of the National Natural Beekeeping Movement. He's a proponent of treatment-free beekeeping and hinges his work on the concept that the bees know better than the beekeeper does. <laughs> That's like, a pretty humbling. So he's like an expert on saying the bees know better than anybody. Yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> just like that's the end of his talk, right? Yeah. Let's <laughs> just, just get like up there 30 <laughs> seconds. All right. And here are the bees for the rest of the time. Um, if you would like to receive a link to register for this, email us info at yourcommunityspirit.org. 
Well, you have been listening to Your Community Spirit on Your Community Radio. Thank you for keeping the you and community. It is now, I think, permanently fall. We went from 90 degrees in the 90s to the 60s in like a day and a half. Yeah. So. The heat wave is over. (laughs) It's just like... Um, now is your chance to enjoy the beautiful nature that is Southern Illinois. October is here. Thank you very much. And don't forget to send in your pledges to keep our community radio station on the air.